Church, don't be afraid to shout out your praises as you've been doing during this time to cry out your gratitude and praise. Those who saw that video at the beginning, I sent out a text message this morning from the church saying, He is risen. The grave is empty. Jesus is risen. And then we watched that video at the beginning of the service where you see people getting a text and just going crazy, right? And, you know, obviously it's Easter. Happy Easter, by the way. So you probably had an idea what the text said. Most likely you woke up this morning and said to one of your family members, or maybe when you walked in this morning, you said to someone, Happy Easter. How many people told someone Happy Easter this morning? Yeah, most of you, right? Because it's Easter morning, and we know what Easter is. And, and, and probably more aptly, we should call it Resurrection Sunday. Now, every Sunday, I hope, we are celebrating the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why they changed uh, way back in the first century. Christians, and, and many of them former Jews, they changed their day of worship from the Sabbath day, from Saturday, to the Lord's day, the first day of the week, because it was the day on which he arose. And, and can you imagine just for a second his followers? What they were feeling and thinking on the night that he was, or on the day that he was crucified. This man that they had followed, that they looked up to, that they listened to, and who had done so many wonderful and great and miraculous things. And then he died. And all seemed lost and over. And then... Just use your imaginations here. They get the text message, right? The grave is empty. Now, they didn't get a text message. The women who had gone to uh, the tomb saw that it was empty, had been given a message by an angel, and they ran back to tell the disciples, the grave is empty. He's risen. Of course, Peter and John run to the grave, to confirm that it's true? And can you imagine the celebration? Can, can you imagine the elation when they realize he's alive? Now, I'm sure there was some wonder and speculation and maybe doubt until they saw him for the first time and realized it was indeed true. He was indeed alive. Can you imagine the joy and wonder and celebration? And we've heard the story so many times, which praise God, right? If you've heard the story more than a few times, I'm so glad that you have. This is a story we should tell all the time. But it's easy to kind of become familiar and almost numb to the story. Oh, church, let us not become numb, joyless, so familiar with the story that it doesn't stir anything within us. Every time we think about the fact, and it is absolutely a fact and a certainty, that Jesus, our Lord, is alive. We should do a little bit of hooping and a hollering, right? Yeah, so let's do that right now. 
Let's do some hooping and hollering. Amen? There we go. Woo! Hallelujah! In his book, Storytelling, Imagination, and Faith, William J. Bausch shares the following paragraph. In the Greek Orthodox tradition, the day after Easter was devoted to telling jokes. April Fool's Day, if you will. Why? It's a silly tradition until we think about why. They felt that they were imitating the cosmic joke that God had pulled on Satan. In the resurrection, Satan, who believed he had defeated God, had killed his son, had taken out the church, and all of a sudden, Jesus is alive, and Satan recognizes his blunder. And the fact of the matter, Satan, I'm sorry, I got carried away. That's not what he wrote. This is what he wrote. Satan thought he had won and was smug in his victory. Smiling to himself, having the last word, or so he thought. Then God raised Jesus from the dead. And life and salvation became the last words. If you don't know anything else, or you hear nothing else today, God has finally spoken through his son. And God has the last word. And that word is life. And it is available to you today. If you go to read the four gospel accounts, we have what we call four gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the first four books of the New Testament. You read the accounts of the resurrection. And I've listed those references here. We're not going to read those today. But I did just want to give you the reference. And as we go along through this sermon and through this PowerPoint, this will be up on our website by the end of the day, Tuesday, so you can go back and reference this if you would like to. But this is where the accounts of the resurrection are found. Now, if you go back and you read all four of these accounts, at first glance, you might think that they contradict one another. Now, imagine you've got four people writing four different accounts. So they're not different in the sense that they do contradict each other or, or it's a totally different event, but they're writing from four different perspectives. And so you read these and you think, wait a second, that doesn't match up. Well, what I've done for you today is I have harmonized. Now, that's a, that's a, that's a theological word for putting them together and making sense of them and saying, actually, they don't contradict. They fit together perfectly. So let me give you the details of the burial and resurrection as told by the four gospels and a few other books. So the first thing we see is that Jesus is buried, right? He dies at the end of the day on that first Good Friday or maybe it was a Thursday or a Wednesday. He dies at 3 p.m., He's buried by 6 because at 6 p.m. the Sabbath starts. We don't know if that was the Saturday Sabbath or if that was the Passover Sabbath. It's debated, but it was a Sabbath day, and so they couldn't work, right? They had to be done by 6 p.m., so they they have him in the grave by 6 p.m. And we know that there were several women who were witnesses to the burial of Jesus, and right? And in this, God is building a case. Listen, this guy was dead and buried. Jesus was dead as the Romans made sure, and he was buried. And the references are up here. Like I said, you can go back and find this on our website later. 
then the tomb is sealed and a guard is set to make sure that his followers don't come and steal his body. At least four women are named Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna, who prepare the spices and they go out on that Sunday morning to bring spices to the tomb. Of course, we know that the stone is rolled away. Because an angel has descended from heaven, has rolled the stone away, and has sat on that stone and is waiting there. There's an earthquake, the guards have fainted, and the women arrive at the tomb and find it empty. Mary Magdalene leaves the other women first. She's worried, she's afraid that someone has stolen the body, so she runs away immediately without waiting for the rest of the story. She's not patient enough. The other women still at the tomb see two angels who tell them that Jesus is risen. And the angels instruct them to go and to tell the disciples to go to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there. So the women leave to bring the good news to the disciples. And then we find that the guards, having roused themselves, having awakened, they report the empty tomb to the authorities. Now, here's... Here's proof, and I've, I've preached on the proofs of the resurrection, so you can go back to previous Easter's and find that message, but, so I'm not going to give you all those today, but here's one proof. The guards are bribed, are paid to lie, right? This is where we get some insight into the religious leaders. They had some kind of clue as to what was going on. They knew his body had not been stolen, but they bribe or pay the guards to lie about this fact. I think that's very telling about their hearts. Number nine, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women on their way to find the disciples see Jesus himself. And then the women get to the disciples, and they relate everything that they've seen to them. Peter and John, as I already said earlier, run to the tomb to see that it truly is empty. And they find the grave clothes. And the grave clothes aren't like set to the side. It's not like going into, and sorry, Benny, it's not like going into my son's room and finding all of his clothes just in a pile on the floor, right? As if they had taken the body, unwrapped him, and thrown the grave clothes to the side. Man, say that ten times fast. Woo! No, they find the grave clothes still wrapped as it was when Jesus was there. Except there's no body inside, as if the body had just disappeared from inside of the grave clothes. Mary Magdalene returns to the tomb, she sees the angels, and then she sees Jesus herself. Later the same day, Jesus appears to Peter. And then on that same day as well, Jesus appears to Cleopas and another disciple on their way to Emmaus. That evening, the two disciples report the event to the eleven in Jerusalem. And then we find in Luke chapter 24 and John chapter 20 that Jesus appears to the ten disciples. Except that Thomas is missing, right? He's not there to see Jesus. And so he doubts. Which, can we blame him? We give Thomas a hard time doubting Thomas. how, How dare he? What was he thinking? Listen, you and I would have done the exact same thing had we been in Thomas's shoes. Oh, okay, guys. Ha ha, very funny. And then Jesus appears to all 11 disciples, with Thomas included. Jesus appears to seven disciples by the Sea of Galilee. 
We find in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appears to about 500 disciples in Galilee. So the number of witnesses are building, right? It's one thing to make a claim but say, you know what, it was just me there. Nobody else saw it. You'll just have to take my word for it. And it's another thing, it's quite another thing to say, you know what, it wasn't just me. I've got 500 witnesses. Oh, well, that kind of changes the narrative a bit. It's hard to deny that. We also find in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus appears to his half-brother James. And then in Matthew 18, we have the Great Commission where Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus teaches his disciples the scriptures and promises to send the Holy Spirit. And then he, is, and then he ascends into heaven some 40 days after his resurrection. You see, it fits beautifully. There's no contradiction. So don't let anyone tell you that there is. All right, I just want to give you two points today. Because you've heard the story, right? We've all heard the story, most likely. I, I don't want to make light of it. I don't want to lessen it. But I just want to get to the point this morning. And, and the first point is this. Jesus shined and he rose. He shined in his life. Now we find all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus says, I have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David. Listen to this, the bright morning star. Now we talk about the morning star, right? You know what that is? What, what planet is it? It's not really a star, it's a planet. Jupiter, right? Or Venus? Which one is it? I heard two answers. I thought it was Jupiter too, but maybe it is Venus. I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, that just made me think of what we used to say in elementary, girls go to Jupiter. Remember that? Oh, boys. Yeah, that's right. Sorry. My bad. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. Satan is also called the morning star. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations. Lo, that word day star also couldn't be translated morning star. That's actually where he gets his name, Lucifer. It's the Latin word for morning star. But here's the thing. What's the actual bright morning star for us that dawns the beginning of the day? The sun, right? Yeah, yeah, Jupiter or Venus, whichever it is, holds, doesn't hold a candle to the sun, Lucifer or Satan may be the morning star, but Jesus is the bright morning star. And he has shined his light for all to see the light of his love that drove him to leave his heavenly palace and come to this forsaken, difficult, sinful earth to die for us. Make no mistake, the light of his love has shined brightly. 
fact, we are told in Romans 5.8 that we know his love. That the demonstration of the fullness of his love is seen in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's right. Jesus is the bright morning star. And then we find from his own words that he is the light of the world. John 8.12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so if that's who he is and it's why he came to bring the light of life, church, is that not, should that not be our mission as well, right? I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, but shining light is his purpose. The light of his love, the light of his gospel, the light of life. And he is the resurrection. He is the life. And just as the sun rises each and every day, it is absolutely certain. So the rising of the sun is certain. This past Sunday, I'm sorry, this past Friday evening, which we celebrate Good Friday on, we showed the movie The Passion of the Christ here. It was, a, it was a youth event officially, but everyone was invited to come. And I wish, for those that didn't get to be here that night, I wish you could have been here. Gabe, what was the final tally or close to? Okay. We had between 40 and 50 kids here on Friday night. Watching The Passion of the Christ, the movie, uh, uh, for many of them, it was their first time having watched it. And if you've watched the movie, you know how difficult it is to watch, how gruesome and bloody it is because the crucifixion was gruesome and bloody. But I I wish you could have been here to see the way those youth, because, you know, the youth get a bad rap, right? Youth these days. You know, us old people drive too fast, get off my lawn. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Did you notice? Okay, did you watch the video at the beginning? Did you know, notice how ageist it was? They're all getting texts, and then you have this older gentleman, and did you see what he had in his hand? A flip phone, that's right. As if old people can't use smartphones. Come on. Smartphone. And now if someone could help me turn it on after, that'd be great. I'd be grateful. I wish you could have seen the youth that night and their response to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus' love, that he went through all of that for us to watch them. And and, and after the movie was over, we had a time of worship. And and please hear me, you think the youth of, of, of our day and age, of this day and age, are in trouble? I am so encouraged. Now maybe there's not a lot of them, But there is power in the few. I'm telling you, these youth that we have here, and and not just the ones we have, there was another church here and other youth across our community, are way more focused and way more committed to the gospel than I ever thought about being when I was their age. Now, there's it's a dark world. That's what Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Why does he say that? Because there's plenty of darkness to go around. But here's my point. The fact of the resurrection 
is absolutely central and essential to the Christian faith. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, and I know that as I watch those, those, those young adults respond to what Jesus did, and, and, and the gut-wrenching feeling that is left when you see him suffer and die. Now, praise God, we live on this side of the resurrection, and, and for us, the resurrection is hindsight, and so we know the rest of the story. But, it, but it's still hard to watch. It's still tough to see what he did. And if that's all we're left with, church, if that's all we're left with is his love and his death and it's over, then we're not left with much. Yeah, he did good things. Yeah, he said a bunch of great words. But if he was still dead, if he was still in the grave, then there's no difference between us and every other religion out there. And, and really, we're just wasting our time this morning. I mean, there's so, as I've said many times, there's a, a, a million other things you could be doing right now. And if he's not alive, then why aren't we doing those other things? This is a waste of time. And, and you don't need to listen to me, right? If this isn't true, you don't need to listen to me at all, but especially if this isn't true. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19, Paul writes this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So many theological liberals try to claim the goodness of Christ without the divinity and resurrection of Christ. They, they want all the teaching, all the service, all the generosity, and all the acceptance, but they balk at the miracles and especially at the resurrection. And, and, and what are we left with? If Jesus isn't alive, what are we left with? We proclaim a resurrection. We proclaim life after death. We proclaim a heaven. We proclaim all these things in Christianity. And yet if Christ is not alive, we are liars. And we are to be pitied above all. I'm telling you today, church, that the resurrection of Christ is absolutely central and essential to our faith. It must be believed to be called Christian, to be called Christianity. And if there is no resurrection, there's nothing. We have no hope, no cause for celebration, no eternal life. Jesus has shined and he rose. Oh, I hope you believe that today. Therefore, we have a job, right? The, the, the gospel is free. Salvation 
comes without cost. Now, I, I, I said last week that His grace isn't unconditional, right? Do you remember me t- us talking about that, those who were here? His, his grace is infinite, it's wonderful, but it's not unconditional because it comes with a condition, one condition, faith. And, and so the gospel comes with one condition, and that's faith. But outside of that, it is free to all who will come and receive it. And yet, there is an expectation after faith. There is a commission, a command after salvation. Jesus shined and he rose. Therefore, we must rise and shine. We must shine as lights in the world because there is so much darkness to overcome You'll remember Jesus' words where he said, I came to be a light in the midst of darkness. And then let me read Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 to you. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Among a crooked and twisted world. My friends, there is so much darkness out there. And so we must be lights. I I feel like sometimes as Christians, we get so caught up in the the world and the things of this world and in our uh, obligations and in our schedules that we just get lost in the darkness. I'm not saying we're not saved. I'm not saying we're not going to heaven. We just get lost in the darkness, right? We get lost in the shuffle out there. And in the dark, listen to this, in the dark... Everyone looks the same. There's no distinction between anyone in the dark. When it's dark, you don't see anything. And so everyone looks the same. And and so in order for you to be distinguishable as a follower of Jesus, you must shine. You must shine with the gospel. You must shine with Christ's love. Because there's so much darkness to overcome. And and when we love and trust Jesus and seek to love others, we will shine with the brightness of the sun. S-U-N and S-O-N. Listen to Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who uh, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such such has never been since there was a nation till that time. This is talking about the great tribulation. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Anyone whose name shall be found written in the book. This takes us all the way to the end of Revelation. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Listen to this, verse 3. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so there's two things happening here. First off, if you're a believer, if you're trusting Jesus Christ for life and, 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 and eternity, you are wise because your, fa- your name is written in the book of life. You've come to him. You know him. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And it says here, you will shine like the brightness of the sky. Again, what is the brightness of our sky? It is the sun. That's right. S-U-N. 
But who is our true light in this life? The Son of God, S-O-N. Those who are wise, those who have trusted him, shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And then it says this, and those who turn many to righteousness. That means you're taking the gospel out. You're making disciples. You're following the great commission. You will shine like the stars forever and ever. There's shining and then there's shining, right? And, and, and when we go out there and, and when we love and trust Jesus and seek to love others, then we will shine like we've never shown before. And here's the thing. Jesus is still the light of the world. Listen, we're not the lights. We're not producing any kind of eternal light. We don't do this on our own. We're more like the moon who reflects the light of the sun. But listen to this. Jesus is not here walking around, Right? His physical presence is no longer with us. He ascended. He sits at the right hand of the Father. But he still desires to shine. And so how does he do that? Through his people. Jesus still shines, but he does it through his church, through his people. Now, our text for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Usually we read that at the beginning of the message. Today we're reading it at the end. And so it's going to be up here on the screen. If you can and are willing, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read Matthew 5 verses 14 through 16. Remember Jesus said that he was the light of the world? Listen to what he says here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Here it is, church, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. And so, church... As you just rose there, you sat down, you're going to rise again here in a few minutes, and we're going to go to our grow groups and then go outside and go home, go to your Easter celebrations, or maybe just go home to take a nap. I don't know what you're going to do later, but you're going to rise and you're going to go, right? Here's the thing, you need to rise and go with a purpose. You need to rise and go with the mission that Jesus has called us all to. First and foremost, you need to come to know this Savior, this risen, living Savior. If you've never come to know Him before, today is the day, and you're going to have a chance in just a few minutes to do that, to not wait any longer, because you can only have life through the one who is life, through the one who has the power over sin and death, who took his own life up, he can give you life as well. But if you know that life, if you've come to Christ by grace through faith, then you must rise and shine for Jesus. That must be your all-consuming purpose and passion in this life. So, Let me tell you something about churches in general and covenants specifically. So during the COVID pandemic, of course, a lot of churches had to stall a lot of the things that they do. A lot of the outreach, a lot of the mission trips, a lot of that stuff had to be stalled because of everything that was going on. Now, we we sought to reach out and serve and help in ways that we could, but a lot of things had to be halted. And, And just to be quite honest, we weren't doing that well before COVID, not that well. 
We, we have a few things and a few people who do that well, but as a church as a whole, as an organization, we weren't doing a great job, haven't been doing a great job. And we recognize that. We understand there is a weak spot in our church, and it is the missions ministry at Covenant Baptist Church. And so as we met for our, you know, we do an elders retreat every year. We didn't go anywhere this year. We came to the church and met for a Saturday. We had a missions consultant come in and walk us through some missions vision casting to create a missions vision and ministry at Covenant Baptist Church. And so next week, I'm going to be talking about that more, just kind of walking you all through some of the things that we talked about and some of the things that we're looking at. But right now, I believe that God is, is, is impressing on some of your hearts, saying that that's where my heart is. That's what I want to be a part of. Listen, we're all supposed to be a part of the mission that God has called us to, the Great Commission. That's all of us. None of us get a pass on that. But, but some of you were created and gifted in a way that missions ministry, maybe it's going on mission trips, or maybe it's just evangelism in our community, that makes your heart sing. And here's the thing, we need to identify and know who those people are in our church. We had a missions team several years ago, we were doing mission trips, and it, it, it kind of petered out, and, and we, need to, we need to build that back up. We need to create a missions team for our church to head and lead that ministry. And so in two weeks, April the 18th at 5.30 p.m., we're going to be having a dinner here at the church for anybody who might be even just a little bit interested or curious about what it's going to look like. Like I said, I'll talk more about this next week, but I wanted to give you two weeks' notice so that you can put that on your calendar. And, and we're going to be looking at planning, strategizing how Covenant Baptist Church will shine the light of Jesus in this community and beyond, or at least do it better than we have been. So go ahead and put that on your calendars and then come back next week to hear what that's all about. Let me end by going back to the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 21 We've been going through a sermon series called Fish Stories and Flannel Boards, and we just ended the two sermons on the life and leadership of Moses. Last week, we looked at the Passover and him leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and and we're going to be looking at them coming to the mountain, the Ten Commandments, the wandering in the wilderness, all of that. But some of you may know that They ended up having to wander in the wilderness for 40 years before they got to enter into the promised land because of their lack of faith. And in those 40 years of wandering, we have this story in Numbers chapter 21. It's the story of the bronze serpent. And it starts in verse 4 through verse 9. Let me just read it to you. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Surprise, surprise. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now, they just said there was no food, right? 
And all this food that you're giving to us, God, we don't like. Wait a second. So there's food. Come on, people. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many, many people of Israel died. People were dying. Death was real and certain and happening on a consistent basis, just like in our world. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, and when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit, a serpent bit anyone... He would look at the bronze serpent and live. You know, Jesus compares himself to that bronze serpent in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. It, uh, Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, in that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Here it is, church. Death is all around us. People are dying, and not just physically dying, but they are dying and going to hell. And, and, and there is a light upon a stick. Jesus, who hung on a cross, you think about bronze and in, in, in light, in, in a sunny daylight, what does that bronze do? It reflects, right? It, it, it's, it's bright. Can you imagine them looking up at that bronze serpent and squinting their eyes? But finding life. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Church, you need to rise and shine. And how do we do that? We point to the one who is the light. We go out and we say, Death is all around us. You are dying. You are in trouble. But I love you. I love you. And I want the best for you. And God wants the best for you. And so he sent his son to die for you. And all you have to do is to look up to him and you will find life. Now, we do that in many ways. Maybe that's by sharing your testimony. Maybe that's just through getting something. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about getting somebody a glass of water. Right? We, we can show his love in many different ways. But at some point, we need to get to the place where we point them to the Son and tell them what it means to have life. Jesus, he shined bright as the sun because he is the sun. And he died and three days later he rose again. And so now, church, he is calling each and every single one of us to rise and to go and shine. Won't you do that today at this time of Easter when everybody's talking about it, when people are hiding eggs, when people are eating chocolate bunnies, you can tell people what this time is really about. As I say at Christmas, there are, there are a few times throughout our uh, uh, calendar year where people are celebrating Christ and don't even know it sometimes. And so we have a chance to tell them what they're celebrating and point them to the one who gives life. Let's do that this week.
Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for these people, those who are here today to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful, God, that you sent him. As I was talking with some of the youth on Friday night, the conversation came up about how angry it made them to watch what the Jews and the Romans did and what we ourselves did by our sin. Angry at how they condemned an innocent man, the most innocent man. And yet, as we talked about God, it had to happen. I am overwhelmingly grieved at how your son was treated. And at the same time, I am overwhelmingly grateful and overjoyed that you were willing to do that, Jesus. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. And thank you that in you, the light of the world, we can find life. Oh God, if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, who's never come to you for life, would today be the day of salvation for them? Would you prompt their hearts to come forward? during this time of invitation. Or Lord, if, if someone needs to get baptized, someone desires to join the church, whatever it is, Lord, draw them forward now. In Jesus' name, amen.